This morning, we return to the book of Acts, picking up the reading at chapter 3, continuing into chapter 4 in order to read the complete narrative that is set before us here. So it's a lengthy reading. You may find it helpful to follow along in your pew Bible, beginning to read at Acts 3, verse 1. Let us ask the Lord, whose Holy Spirit breathed out this word and preserved it for us in Scripture, infallibly and inerrantly, now to bless us that we might receive it in true faith to the glory of His name. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we rejoice in the gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, crucified and risen for us. In his name, we ask the blessing of your Holy Spirit upon us afresh to open our minds, to open our hearts, to give us ears to hear and souls to believe that we might offer ourselves anew to you with joy and thanksgiving. To the glory of your name, through Christ our Savior. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of God. It is written. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, that is 3 p.m. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses." 
And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but God, what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. And as they were speaking to the people, The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about five thousand. Unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, and glory forever and ever. Amen. At this point in the life of the first century church in Jerusalem, things began to get interesting. In the first two chapters of Acts, we read about the wonderfully positive spiritual experience of the believers in Jerusalem. You remember, the apostles had witnessed the ascension of Jesus into heaven. Then, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and the gospel of Jesus Christ was miraculously proclaimed in all the different languages of the Roman Empire. Jewish pilgrims from all over the empire had come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, and those who lived in and around Jerusalem heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true Messiah of Israel, crucified and risen. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, those who heard the gospel, you remember, were cut to the heart, repented of their sins, placed their faith in Jesus, the Messiah, and 3,000 were baptized and brought into the church of Jesus Christ. It was wonderful. It was just as Jesus had said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit 
has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where it all began. And surely, on that day of Pentecost, the apostle Peter remembered what Jesus had said to him, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus' words were being fulfilled right before their very eyes, and it was wonderful. And then also in Acts 2, we read about the wonderfully vibrant spiritual life of those first believers under the leadership of the apostles. You remember, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. There's no mention. There's no mention of false teaching or division in the body or controversy in the church. They loved one another. They took care of one another, even to the point of voluntarily selling their possessions to provide for the needs of anyone who had a special need. And as the Scripture says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It was wonderful. But now it was about to get interesting. And that's how it is, isn't it? Even in the the common experience of our lives. For example, for example, the wedding ceremony is beautiful. The honeymoon is wonderful. And then the marriage gets interesting. Well, our spiritual life as Christians can have a parallel or analogous experience. So whether you experienced a momentous, dramatic conversion experience from spiritual death to life everlasting, from darkness to light, or whether you grew from childhood as a believing Christian, You know, from time to time, we have what we call these mountaintop experiences, times of spiritual renewal and refreshment and a a great sense of God's grace and mercy upon our lives or a deepening understanding of who God is for us in Jesus Christ. And these mountaintop experiences may last for weeks or months, and we may get the impression, oh, my whole life as a Christian is going to be a mountaintop experience. But we know that life is not lived on the mountaintop. And eventually we come down from the mountaintop. We take up our cross to follow Jesus, and life gets interesting. There's also the the parallel in the life of a church. And and, and there's a parallel here even in 
Covenant Presbyterian EPC. I want to be real careful. I don't want there to be any misunderstanding about what I'm about to say. But those of you who have been members here for 10 years or longer know what I mean when I say that in those early years when we came into the EPC, 2010 to 15, the we witnessed some remarkable providences of God as he took care of this congregation in our new infancy. And he blessed us with a spiritual unity and joy and excitement. And that's not a that's not unique to us. Other congregations have experienced the same kind of renewed vitality as well. But the point is the Lord helped us in amazing ways, and he added to our number. It was the Lord's doing. It was marvelous in our eyes, and all praise and honor and glory goes to him. But now that we are no longer in our infancy, And now in the cultural context in which we find ourselves and having been through a pandemic for a year, you know, there have been occasions now when our life as a congregation in one way or another has gotten more interesting. And in the current cultural environment, it may indeed get more interesting. Resurrection brings confrontation. It begins here in Acts 3. The apostles, Peter and John, were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, 3 p.m. Remember that the first believers in Christ were faithful, observant Jews who believed that Jesus of Nazareth, who had been crucified and raised from the dead, was the promised Messiah of Israel. The apostles had no conception and had no idea of starting a so-called new religion. They were going to the temple for evening worship. And a group of people brought a man who had been lame from birth, laid him at the gate of the temple called the Gate Beautiful, a massive, extraordinarily beautiful structure. And it was a good place for the lame man to receive the alms of worshipers as they entered the temple. This man lame from birth, however, ought to be pitied for more than his physical disability. See it. His physical disability resulted in a kind of spiritual disability. Now, even though there is no Old Testament law which prohibits the lame from entering the temple, the practical effect was that he couldn't enter the temple, and those who brought him, for whatever reason, didn't want to take him, carry him with them, into the temple for worship. They thought it more practical just to put him down by the gate and let him collect his alms. The point is his lameness disabled him, his communion with God, and his people gathered in the temple. He saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, and he asked them for alms, money. And the apostles fixed their eyes on him. He expected to receive something. But Peter said, I have no silver or gold to give to you. 
But what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately the man's ankles and feet were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Now this was a miracle, a supernatural healing performed by the apostles in the name of, that is to say, by the authority of Jesus Christ. And to say the same thing in a different way, I want you to get this. This was a miraculous healing performed by Jesus Christ, risen from the dead through the apostles Peter and John. And the whole point of this miracle, as we shall see, was to demonstrate, to prove that God had raised Jesus from the dead. In fact, this miracle has, so to speak, the fingerprints of Jesus all over it. First of all, as was the case with all of the healings of Jesus performed during his earthly ministry, this healing was not simply about the man's physical disability. It was about his spiritual disability. And it's also about who Jesus is, which, by the way, was the whole point of Jesus' Miracles during his earthly ministry. It wasn't just that he was just doing nice things for people. His miracles were signs, signs of who he was and is. So, as we read the narrative, the man is healed. Then, what happened? Where did the lame man go when he got up? He went into the temple to worship God with his people. By the power and authority of Jesus Christ, this man lame from birth was brought into the presence of God and enabled to worship God with his people. By the power and authority of Jesus Christ, this man lame from birth was restored to communion with God. Don't miss that. That's just like Jesus did throughout his earthly ministry, restoring people, not only physically, but spiritually. Secondly, how did he go into the temple? Not simply walking, but the Scripture says two times, leaping. Yes, leaping like a deer, as was prophesied by Isaiah. Isaiah 35, 6. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer. A prophecy of the spiritual redemption which the Messiah would bring. This man's healing was evidence that Jesus was in fact the promised Messiah prophesied by Isaiah and all the prophets. And this miracle was one of those signs and wonders which the apostles were empowered to perform 
by the Holy Spirit in order to confirm, to authenticate the truth of the gospel they preached. This is the whole point of the apostles' ministry of signs and wonders. The signs and wonders all confirmed and supported and authenticated and verified the gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, to prove that Jesus was the true Messiah and that God had raised him from the dead. So, the most important thing that happens in this passage is not the physical healing of the lame man. The most important thing that happens in this passage is Peter's proclamation that Jesus, who had been crucified in fulfillment of prophecy, had also been raised from the dead, and that through repentance and faith in him, sins may be blotted out. Sins may be blotted out, even the sins of those who crucified him, even the sin of crucifying him. Even that sin could be blotted out. Obviously, the people who witnessed this supernatural miracle were astounded, but as they were standing on the portico on one side of the temple... Peter addressed them in much the same way as he did on the day of Pentecost. This is Peter's second speech or second sermon in the book of Acts. He said, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? or Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer, Barabbas, to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Now here again, as he had done on the day of Pentecost, Peter, in Jerusalem, where where Jesus had been arrested and tried, and and publicly crucified here in the same city within two, at the most three months of Jesus' crucifixion in the face of the Jewish authorities, in the face of the Roman authorities, right there at ground zero, Peter straightforwardly declared that the man they crucified had been raised from the dead and he was an eyewitness of it. Now, think about this. Do you suppose that if there had been the least shadow of a doubt, the tiniest bit of uncertainty in Peter's mind, 
about the real bodily resurrection of Jesus. Do you think that if there had been the least shadow of a doubt, the tiniest bit of uncertainty, <laughs> that Peter would have stood there in Jerusalem, in the temple precincts, and said to those people, you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. I don't think so. The bold preaching of the apostles in itself is historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And in the proclamation of the gospel, the apostles did two basic things. We see it here. Number one, they confronted the people with their guilt. They held them accountable for Jesus' death. And secondly, they proclaimed the forgiveness of sins to all who would repent and turn to Jesus Christ for their salvation. Now, there's, there's so much to unpack here. But, but we need to see in this passage, you see, that Peter is a Jew preaching to Jews. That's the reason that he refers to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs of Israel, with whom God had established his covenant. He was telling them that Jesus was the fulfillment of that covenant, that all the blessings of God had come through Jesus. Peter refers to Moses, who himself prophesied of a prophet like him to come, that is Jesus, to whom the people must listen or be destroyed. Peter refers to Samuel, through whom God had declared his covenant with David and promised the son of David, the greater son of David, who would rule over the everlasting kingdom. He refers to Jesus as God's servant, that is, the suffering servant prophesied in Isaiah 53. He refers to Jesus as the Holy One and the Righteous One titles which are mentioned in prophecy of the Messiah and which indicate Jesus' divine nature. Peter was a Jew preaching to Jews, preaching boldly, confronting them with their sin, and calling them to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy One, the Righteous One, the author of life whom they killed and whom God raised from the dead. Resurrection brings confrontation. Confrontation with our own sin. Because the same message is addressed to us today by the Word, through the Spirit. The reality of the resurrection of Jesus confronts all of us with this question. What will you do with your sin and guilt? We either deny Jesus Christ as though to crucify Him again, reject his offer of forgiveness, and be destroyed. Or we repent of our sins and believe in his name, the fullness of who he is, and turn from our wickedness 
and be healed by His power and be restored into fellowship with God, leaping with joy and praising Him with His people just like that man lame from birth because that's who we are. Every single one of us, spiritually speaking, lame from birth, indeed, from the moment of our conception in our mother's womb, helplessly cut off from communion with God, dead in trespasses and sins. But God has sent us His Son, Jesus Christ, so that our sins may be blotted out and we may live in His everlasting kingdom when He comes again to restore all things. And there's a reference to that in Peter's sermon. His coming again and the restoration of all things, the coming of the new creation of righteousness, peace, and joy. And today the Word of God proclaims the resurrection of Jesus to us and calls us to repentance and faith in Him. But remember, resurrection brings confrontation. Look what happened next. Things began to get interesting. The priests the captain of the temple, that is the Jewish guards, the Sadducees, that is the uh, elite establishment of Jews who were in political cahoots with Rome for their own privilege and power. The, The Jewish religious and political establishment, they did not like it. They did not like it one little bit, and they could not tolerate it. They were greatly annoyed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, which the Sadducees did not believe in. They didn't believe that there would be a resurrection of the dead at the end of history. And they couldn't tolerate it, and they arrested Peter and John and put them in custody. Welcome to cancel culture in the first century. And make the connection. This notion of Jesus' resurrection from the dead was and is a dangerous notion. The establishment was being publicly accused of killing the Messiah. And if people believed that Jesus were the Messiah, risen from the dead, that would change everything. The priests would lose control of the temple. The Sadducees would lose their political privilege in collusion with Rome. And the whole superstructure of the Jewish establishment would be threatened. Indeed, it, it might all be brought tumbling down. It was intolerable. It had to be silenced. Resurrection brings confrontation. Peter and John were arrested and held in custody because it could not be tolerated that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, I want you to watch that verse, that phrasing at chapter 4, verse 2. It's not simply a reference to Jesus' resurrection from the dead. It is a reference to the resurrection of the dead. 
the resurrection of the dead that would occur at the end of history. And what the apostles were saying, preaching, teaching, is that we've got a glimpse of the resurrection of the dead at the end of history, and it has happened within history by the resurrection of Jesus. You know how the Apostle Paul speaks of Jesus' resurrection from the dead as the first fruits of the resurrection. And so that establishes Jesus as the king of the new creation. to whom we either happily submit and to whom our allegiance is pledged or against whom we are in rebellion to our destruction. But in proclaiming the resurrection of the dead, having been foreshadowed in the resurrection of Jesus, it also means this. We hear a lot these days about being on the right side of history, do we not? Do we not? It's Marxist lingo, by the way. Won't go down that rabbit trail. But there's this great debate about who's on the right side of history. Well, guess what? It's been revealed. Jesus Christ is the man on the right side of history because his resurrection from the dead proves that on the last day, those who are on the right side of history will be with him. And those who are not with him will not. He is the king and he is the judge. He is the Lord of all. And to that we must remain faithful and united in the face of any and all opposition which may come our way as life in these United States may get more and more interesting. And look at verse 4. Peter and John have been put in prison. Cancel culture. But what? Many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000, that is, 5,000 households. The church faced opposition faithfully, and the church continued to grow. Because Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Here, In America, in the 21st century, life is beginning to get a little more interesting. We will face opposition, but if we are faithful and united, in the face of opposition, the church will grow. Dearly beloved, you know how I love to say, be cheerful, not fearful. Jesus Christ has conquered death. 
and he is building his church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. To God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the glorious gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you put forward as the sacrifice for all of our sins and raised him from the dead so that in him we might have life and life eternal. Strengthen us, we pray, by the power of your Spirit and send us forth into the world as true believers to share the gospel of his saving power that your name may be glorified. Amen. In response to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith, the faith of the one church of Jesus Christ throughout history and throughout the world. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God.